When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I am your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Josh Dawes, who is the host of the Great Awakening podcast, which explores cultural matters from a Christian perspective. In this conversation, we talk about his Christian faith and how that Christian faith intersects with the culture at large. And also we talk about currents within Christianity, modern Christianity, American Christianity, everything from eschatology to noumenology to Christian nationalism. Great guy, excellent voice, excellent thoughts. I am happy to have him on the show and recommend you check out his podcast, which is linked in the description. Without further ado, here is Josh Dawes. Hello. Hello. Hey, I hear you. Good. Can you hear me? Yep. Do I sound okay? You sound very nice. Competent? Do I sound competent? You sound like a NPR radio. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, which is good. <laughs> let's 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 keep it there. You sound good too. Cool. Do you do a lot awesome. of these? Um, every once in a while. Yeah. Are they your favorite thing? They are favorite of all time. Yeah. You can't get over them. Can you? I just want to get some, uh, I'm going to say some like outlandish things so I can get one of your reactions. Oh, okay. Let's get me reacting. Make <laughs> my face plastic. I kind of just took a nap. So just like lay it on me, get me up to speed. I uh, I don't like pizza. <laughs> oh no, not one of these conversations. Are we gonna do one of those like pi pineapple things? Is that what we're gonna do? We're we gonna do the pineapple no. pizza conversation. I haven't actually hosted that conversation, so we can go there if we want. I wasn't prepared for this. I was prepared no, no, for no, Christ, <laughs> but not for pineapple. Let's talk Christ instead. More for you. Do you have big plans this summer? Uh, my, my wife and I are going to Jamaica in three weeks. Oh, which yeah, it's business pretty... or pleasure. This is uh, celebrating our twentieth wedding anniversary two years late. So. <laughs> wow, twenty-two years. Yeah, you got married in two thousand one. Then I did. Yeah. Yeah. Was this like right around the Twin Towers or right before they fell? Uh, we got married in January. And um, yeah, so that, that was a momentous year. Yeah, that was a pretty big year for you, huh? Yeah. Do <laughs> uh, you guys have any uh, children? Yeah, we've got three boys and a girl. Uh, 14 down to the little girl's about to turn four. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing. What are they going to do while you're in Jamaica? You're going to send them off to boarding camp uh, or something? Two of them are going to be at camp. Um, the other two are going to be with my um, 
my uh, dad and my brother who live together. Oh, fun. Cool. Yeah. What have you learned about marriage in these 22 years? Um, or yeah, maybe what have you learned about yourself? Is that a better question? Yeah. Which is the better question? Um, you kind of learn which, uh, which, which arguments to have. <laughs> Some of them are really stupid and you just, you just learn, why am I picking a fight over the type of detergent we bought in the first year? Like, <laughs> It's like you feel that pressure of the budget and it's like, why did you buy died? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Not a good argument to have. <laughs> what do you think? Um, how, how has it been being a husband for you? Like a fulfillment of, of something in you? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was fortunate. My, I grew up, um, my parents had a really strong marriage and, uh, my dad was a pastor and they were, um, a really, uh, strong relationship. You know, they were getting up and praying together every morning at five. And so, you know, as we get up, you know, to start the day, we always see them kind of wrapping up their quiet time. And so they just modeled a really healthy, strong marriage. So it, it, that was something that, you know, we were kind of, uh, starting out, we were kind of able to draw a lot on like the things they learned and we, we saw in there in their marriage. Um, my wife didn't come from such a healthy home. And so, uh, it was, my mom was able to kind of like mentor her and, and help her, um, kind of, you know, see what a family's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be yelling all the time and stuff. So, yeah. Hmm. What, what now, are denomination you, did your pastor teach in? And sorry. I uh, yeah, no, no. My, my dad's, uh, Southern Baptist. <clears throat> was that everything that one would imagine <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah we've seen the best and worst of uh church um church fights and also you know church family being there during the tough times to help you through so yeah like like anything it's mixed bag yeah are you are you religious I, uh, I, I, I am, and I want to be, um, I'm, I'm shamefully more spiritual than I am religious, but I, I appreciate religion deeply and I don't know how to hew it to my, uh, understanding of the world completely, but I am unable to, um, stray too far from the fact that God is real and ever present and that the universe would not live without his constant, um, continual love and support. Mm -hmm. uh, so to what degree I aim myself in that direction, um, or not is, I guess the religious aspect of my life. And so I need to, I always need to be a little bit more, um, aimed in that direction, whichever direction God is. I don't know. Um, that's a theological debate um but for me yeah. it's a we really tight if you like <laughs> direct experience yeah so okay let's let's go there then where where does religion start with you then well for me um i believe that the bible is god's word uh, in the um you know uh reform tradition i believe in the five solas um the five sol salvation sol five solas 
so um that was kind of um the theology and i'm not a theologian so you'll get you could have someone else on that (laughs) could really explain this better but there's five um there's kind of five doctrines that really summarize the protestant reformation and they're roughly uh called the five solas so salvation is uh from uh, by faith alone in christ alone uh through uh, revealed in scripture alone um shoot there's one other to the glory of god alone i should know this um but that's yeah let me (laughs) sorry it's gonna bug me i quizzed you i know i didn't know we were gonna be talking about this (laughs) i didn't do my work five solas let's see sola scripts torah uh so god is revealed in scripture alone sola fide uh which uh is that's the justification is by faith alone that means that we are made right with god uh purely by faith it's not of works it's not nothing that we can do um sola gratia that's the one uh by grace alone it's 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 not a it's not a it's not works it's god for whatever reason chooses to show us grace Mm. um and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us and that's the sola christus uh through christ alone it's not through uh, christ plus works or christ plus uh anything else or it's not you know all roads lead to god it's it's solely through christ and then it's uh the final one soli deo gloria which is for god alone you know for the glory of god alone so it's all um ultimately for his glory he chooses to love us and to save us for his own glory okay so that, how that many kind of siblings where i've got uh two younger brothers and a younger sister so i'm the oldest okay. of four and which one is the most uh closely aligned with these five solos or most mm. of this belief yeah we've all um you all this is a testament followed <laughs> yeah um this is a testament to my parents because what they taught on you know what my dad taught from the pulpit he lived out at home so we saw it uh, so even through like all of the church squabbles and fights and my dad was fired um from hmm. a couple of churches for you know different stands that he took okay so even through all of that you know we saw that it was a genuine faith at home and so um you know some of my siblings have had you know periods of waywardness but have all come back and we're all <laughs> um three of us all attend the same church now um once we uh, all kind of moved back to the same area where uh we're in the same church and uh hmm. working on my sister but uh <laughs> she's uh she's attended a different church yeah well i ask this um it might be the case that different people have different reasons for um believing mm-hmm. uh, yeah sure and maybe even reason isn't the right word so so i was asking like why what's your reason why why do these five articles of faith mean the world to you Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've just been convinced. So I went off, you know, I went to college and kind of 
didn't really rebel, but was definitely in a period of um, kind of questioning the upbringing and, you know, the, the type of theology I grew up with and, and stuff um, became very interested in, um, I guess, what's called the seeker sensitive movement. So these are these big mega churches that do rock songs as opening numbers. And, you know, it's all designed to make church appealing to non-Christians. So it has mm -hmm. this, you know, th there's a lot of assumptions made that like that these churches know what a non-Christian, you know, what all non-Christians are like and what they want to see at church. Um, and so it was, it's very, um, I don't know, it's very much let's sh shave off the rough edges of Christianity. Let's not talk about hell. Let's not talk about sin. Let's talk about the benefits of Christianity, you know, how, you know, a Christian approach to marriage makes your life better and makes your life easier. And, you know, let's talk about the Christian perspective on finances and why that is uh, ultimately going to you know, help you prosper. And so not quite prosperity gospel in that, you know, give us money and God will give you riches, but more of a, I don't know, salesman for God. Like, hey, here are the benefits. <laughs> Why don't you uh, take this for, you know, puppy for a uh, drive around the block and see how it fits you. Yeah. But um, you got interested in so that, the, like anthropologically, or, or um, I was just embarrassed to invite people to church growing up. <laughs> you okay. know, um, I, I wanted, uh, you know, I've always, I think, you know, my faith has always been sincere and important to me. Um, but I felt like the church was going, um, the church that we grew up in, they were. And they kind of ranged between like country clubs to kind of really embarrassing, corny, you know, churches that had like the Halloween hell house, you know, where you try and scare, scare people into hell and, and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, um, at, at, you know, at that point in my life in college, I was really more wanting to, um, you know, find a way to, I guess, you know, the, the altruistic version is I wanted, you know, a church that I could invite my friends to, um, selfishly, I was embarrassed to be a Christian a lot of times, just because, you know, a lot of our beliefs are hard to talk about, you know, in flight company and when you know, was in, this uh, elite circles, when uh, so this would be, um, I graduated in 99. And so, um, okay. Yeah, that's when, you know, my wife and I, we got married. We actually worked at a big megachurch. We were all in on this type of ministry. Okay. And uh, it really wasn't until we moved out to Los Angeles. And um, that's a whole nother story. I was, I was pursuing a film career with my brother. And um, we, um, yeah, we moved out there and... Uh, got some distance from the church we were part of and began to see like over time, a lot of the people that came to that church uh, weren't really growing in their faith. And anytime their faith kind of bumped up against some scriptural teaching, it was, you know, the scriptural teaching did not win out. It was more of a, you know, they were, they were just as easily swept along into the, the woke stuff and eventually, you know, deconverted, um, you know, deconstructed their faith and followed that kind of social justice path to questioning everything. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so it was about that time that I'm, I'm just looking for something more for, you know, we've been fed on this type of teaching for, you know, over a decade. 
And I'm looking for more um, nourishment in the Bible teaching I'm getting. And so I started listening to um, pastor who just uh, passed away recently, Tim Keller, who is uh, hmm. had his own, you know, issues with uh, some of the, the woke stuff, but um, was a really solid Bible teacher that was able to do the same kind of seeker sensitive theology, um, you know, approach to ministry, but without sacrificing like in depth, you know, scriptural yeah. teaching. So he would do like whole series through books of the Bible and really dig into like what, you know, scripture teaches in those. And that kind of read me, uh, led me to uh, reformed theology, which is more of a Calvinistic approach that, you know, it's ultimately God who decides, um, you know, God has to do a work in people's lives to open their eyes and bring them from out of darkness into his light. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was just a complete paradigm shift for me because my whole you know, adult life, I'd been involved in ministry, trying to make God appealing to people like here, you know, don't look over there. Don't look at this, you know, <laughs> these teachings yeah. that I know you're not going to like look over here at this stuff. And don't you want this? We'll worry about that later. And it, it, this shift in my um, understanding of, of doctrine and how salvation works was, um, was really kind of life changing for me in that it wasn't up to me. Like the, the Bible talks about, you know, the, the gospel is that, um, in Romans, Paul writes that I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so and he, and he, Romans is like the best book for really just a systematic walking through of how salvation works. Um, just really chapters one through, um, nine or so, uh, it really, it's Paul's like nuts and bolts. This is how it works. And, and, and kind of seeing that kind of, um, freed me up to be more bold with my faith, to be able to, well, talk about it. Like, this is, this is what the gospel is. The gospel says that I'm, you know, we're all sinners that, we have, you know, that God's law is written in our hearts. So even if we don't, you know, aren't aware of it, uh, you know, God has revealed his law through, um, you know, 10 commandments and we're all guilty of that. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, you've heard it, you know, do, do not murder. And Jesus says, well, if you've even been angry at anyone, you've murdered them. And so he like, Jesus comes along and, and raises the bar. And it's like, you, you think you've kept the law, but you're not, you, you're not keeping the spirit of the law. And it's, it just reveals the depths of our sin that, that there's nothing I can do. And it reveals our need for a savior. And so when God um, is working in someone's life, you know, we can be confident that we can share the gospel and that if he's working in their life, they're not going to be turned off by you know, the, the difficult teachings on, on sin and hell, um, because God is opening their eyes and stirring in their heart to, uh, put their faith in, in Jesus. And so that's, um, that's just really, um, you know, my wife and I really wrestled with, with that type of teaching. Um, I'd say probably six, seven years ago now, and it's really freed us up to just, I, I don't know, a whole 
new uh, approach to our faith that's not so preoccupied with we got to make the you know people like us and we got to hmm. you know worry about what people are going to think and um you know it, i think it's had a lot of benefits just you know in my the podcast that i do just being able to get on there and get on twitter and say what i think and it's been so cool that especially the last few years because there's an openness to the gospel on the right that a lot of these these mega churches these seeker sensitive churches just um, because they've in their mind, they've decided that everyone on, um, you know, all non-Christians are leftists. That's kind of like um, the default. Like, so we've got to make the gospel appealing to leftists. Oh, okay. Well, when you're not um, worried about making it appealing, you know that the gospel is the power of God, that the gospel is the thing that is going, you know, God's going to use to tr change hearts. Um, you're free to stop trying to tailor it you know, to certain, you know, target audience really. And, in the last several years, um, yeah, it's just been super exciting to watch what God is doing on the right with people who become red pilled, you know, they, you know, they see through a lot of the crazy stuff going on and they completely change the way they think about politics. And then they start asking those questions like, what else am I, you know, did, <laughs> what other, you know, presuppositions did I grow up with that, you know, I, I should rethink and, um, eventually get around to, you know, Christianity. This is a uh, Carrie Smith's uh, story. You know, you eventually get back around to um, Christianity and, and start reevaluating that. And yeah. there's a lot of openness there. Um, so I don't know. It's exciting times. What do you think about the um, claim? And I can't really back this up, but I've heard rumors of this, um, of the, the critics that are on the right maybe we can define that um because everybody's got a different definition for that um who say that the, if you follow this whole thing back you know the social justice stuff you get to liberalism liberalism you get to the enlightenment the enlightenment eventually leads you back to martin luther you get back to the reformation maybe we shouldn't have maybe we shouldn't have yeah. messed around with that authority how far back do you go when you start to question these things and why do you personally personally end at the reformation not just yeah, go back I, even you know everyone uh, i feel like has their their uh their point they fall back to you know some are like no it's back to you know the enlightenment was bad but the the founding of our country was was good that was really based on christianity so we're, we're good we don't need to toss the constitution other people are like nope that was a purely enlightenment project we got to go back further some people yeah. go back to rousseau uh, so you know it, i think you've got to um I don't know that any of us are completely, you know, can look at it completely unbiased. Um, you know, I'm, I'm persuaded, um, by the, the, the revealed truth of scripture. Um, and you know, I, I, I get, that is, um, I think one of the side effects of the, the reformation is that, you know, it freed up the, lay people to question authority. And um, I'm not sure yeah. I could draw any natural, you know, distinction, you know, any clear lines from that to the enlightenment, but um, I'm sure others have, I'd be interested to see those, those critiques, yeah. but, you know, I think you go, you can go all the way back though, to Augustine and, you know, a lot of the ideas from the reformation are just rediscoveries of what Augustine was teaching. So hmm. it's, mm -hmm. um, 
there's it's it, i love you know following those kind of lines of thought through yeah, history yeah. but you, you it's can, hard to find like definitive on the right there are the um and i'm still mapping this and it's not totally in my mind uh completely so i'm just kind of making a very broad brush uh, broad brush strokes painting but on the right there are the christ there's the kind of christianish right and then the nietzschean right and the nietzscheans or the neo-pagans are in constant you know they're, they're constantly blaming christians for this because christians mm, are weak yeah. christians turn the other cheek christians are the ones who are constantly allowing this slide into de degradation whereas the pagans have a different kind of model or idol of of what um society should be or like the the pinnacle whereas christians have this kind of thing about goodness and salvation and perfection in a, in a particular godly mm -hmm. way pagans are more like be beautiful or die kind of and you know maybe they don't believe that exactly but there there's a pressure there's pressure cooker on the right between the christians and the nietzscheans or, or the neo-pagans going back and forth mm -hmm. where the neo-pagans blame christians for the woke stuff and and it might be the case what what well here maybe this is a good question why do you think christianity is susceptible to wokery um why do you why do you see the creep and you, you give a hint on one like they're trying to appeal is it strictly that they're trying to appeal to left or there's something leftist about christianity or something toxically empathetic um within christian cults uh, or christian churches that tends it to be susceptible to what we call wokeness and if you want to define wokeness please go ahead yeah yeah yeah, um, it's a wokeness, just kind of that um, neo-Marxist um, kind of oppressor-oppressed yes. um, kind of applied to cultural, so cultural Marxism um, that, um, you know, I think Christianity has lost a lot of its masculine virtues over the years. Um, and so I think there is... Um, that's one that's one reason i think the the kind of nietzschean right um has a legitimate criticism there that it christianity in trying to become appealing um you know uh, i think for a lot of history uh christianity has has been uh, heavily uh female you know and for good reason because you know in the first century that was really the first sexual revolution, you know, that, you know, women are not just objects. They're not subservient. They are, you know, we all have an inherent, um, you know, all made in the image of God. There's a, the equality, even in our different roles. Um, and so the first century Christians were very um, supportive of, of women in a way that the surrounding pagan culture was not. And so for that reason, Christianity has always been um you know had a huge um uh feminine you know um aspect to it mm -hmm. and i think over time um we have in our desire to make it appealing to a you know feminist um post-christian <laughs> culture society. that is yeah a post-christian that is driven a lot by feminism um we've lost a lot of the the aspects of christianity that um were um, more geared toward um, fighting the the fight against evil in the world. You know, that's um, that's a big part of, I think, what is driving a lot of the Christian nationalist uh, talk um, within evangelical circles. There's a desire to get back to, no, we're not, we don't just have to, you know, give up and shrug our shoulders and, you know, oh, well, what are you going to do? We lose down here. 
Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a growing number of, of Christians that are like, no, <laughs> even if, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with, with you know, eschatology and end times theology. There's like a, a, um, a few different schools of thought in uh, Christian and Christianity. There's a premill that says that Jesus is going to come back, um, rapture all his people out, and then uh, the world's just going to go through a great tribulation and, you know, until it's all destroyed and then we come back and, and reign uh, with Jesus. And that that view says that that's kind of view from the Left Behind movies, Kirk Cameron. And uh, that view says that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus has had enough and he comes back and gets us. Um, then there's kind of the, uh, on the opposite spectrum, there's the post mill. It says that, um, this, the, speaking, that's the millennium, that, that there's going to be a thousand year reign, that, um, G, that the, um, the, the world's going to get better and better as more and more people, you know, it's Christianity spreads, that's going to have a positive impact on the world. It's going to get better and better. And that's going to kind of usher in God's kingdom here on earth. And, um, you know, the, the, the debate in, in Christian circles right now is, is kind of between those two views, but uh, a lot of people are in this other Amil um, kind of, you know, not sure. I don't know. I, I'm not an expert on the eschatology okay. stuff, but there's a there's the sense that, you know, um, if the world is, is getting better, then we've got to we've got to bring the, the kingdom of God in. I don't really hold to that view, but a lot of people do. Uh, but I think a lot of people that hold to the kind of the world's getting worse view, they are, um, they're having a hard time with a lot of, uh, the desire to, you know, get more politically active because they're like, what's the point, you know, okay. <laughs> it's just going to yeah. get worse. And, uh, and so I think there's a lot of us that are trying to fight that, even if we're not, you know, trying to bring God's kingdom here on earth right now. Yeah. That framework is, um, it's a really tricky framework to have, uh, this, this eschatological framework where uh, at some point in history, in the future, um, Christ is going to return and things are going to change um, indefinitely. And there's going to be an end of history. And just operating with that assumption... It's so tricky because how do you how do you not be politically motivated? How do you not how do you have an apolitical or how do you how do you be not apathetic because it's out of your hands? Like it, it that relationship to history itself is what we're seeing on the progressive left. It's like we're, we need to usher mm -hmm. in the kingdom of God. This is utopianism. Again, this is like yeah a particularly Christian idea that in the hands of satanic or bureaucratic or whatever you want to call it, technocratic forces becomes the opposite of the kingdom. That, mm -hmm. that becomes Le Schwab telling us that, you know, the, the end of the world is here. Bill Gates, the end of the world is here. You take this vaccine, um, live in this pod, eat these bugs. Cause this is, this is the millennium. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the Christ that you expected, but I'm the one who, who's got the, the know how to do this. Right. Um, so, it, yeah. it, and, and then it just, it, it sees a whole bunch of restlessness, it's really, it's just really difficult to even have that, that point of view. I mean, I've, I've had experiences of the apocalypse and dreams that were very stark and they, they showed me like an internal understanding of that, like a spiritual or metaphorical. I don't like the word metaphorical because it's a little bit deeper than metaphorical, but it made me understand that there's a direction of grace that's coming down. And then there's an orientation towards that grace that causes you to do certain works in the world and try to appeal, um, tried to be a bearer of light into the world. And I don't know how mm -hmm. one does that politically, 
because it's a personal project. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just throwing a lot of things out here because it's like, it's a dangerous cocktail, like this, this historical mm-hmm. point of view. Um, and I, I don't know to what extent uh, Islam has that, has that same kind of historical point of view, but we do see Islam when it gets radically political, when Christians get radically political, we do a lot of like very non-Christian things, very non-Islamic things, Mm. very non-Muslim things when we're possessed by a historical or political understanding. So it's just really difficult to, to, to do that properly. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, um, you know, it's hard to, I think that's the big fear. The big, the, the, the nervousness around Christian nationalism is, you know, Lord Acton, you know, power corrupts, ultimate power corrupts or absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So there's a real uh, skittishness around um, power, but I think what we've seen and it's become really clear in the last few years is that um, there is no such thing as a neutral public square it it it, it, it's going to operate according to some moral framework and if it's not uh, a christian moral framework something you know which is i believe you know is what the country was founded on even if not you know explicitly into our that was just the world that the founders lived in you know it that was the underpinnings of what they created the zeitgeist Um, the underpinning uh, moral framework yeah if if it's not if we're gonna pull out christianity and say that's not we're not gonna that's not gonna be the moral framework something is going to fill that void and the last few years have shown that 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 wokeness is happy to step up you know it's happy to rush in and fill that and um shoot i forget what i was reading this week somebody had a really good sub stack about it um if i remember i'll i'll let you know but um was talking about how if um, because Christianity was pulled out and the, this, you know, this understanding of separation of church and state that you can't bring the Bible into the schools, you can't bring prayer into schools, you can't teach these things in schools. Hmm. Um, wokeness operating as a religion is not hampered by that because they don't have a holy book. They don't have, you know, a deity that they pray to. So this well, religious framework they have these things called yeah. civil rights. Right. They do. They do have the, the, the wokeness Absolutely. is in a line with the, with the religious principle that animated the country since what, 1962 or 1964. Um, it, it, it flows out of that religious, um, yes. that moral, uh, telos of the government of the United States of America, which is to progress towards some sort of equality. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. But because it doesn't have, it, it is not viewed as a religion, it can operate within our institutions with impunity. It, it, there is no one, you know, there are no, you know, atheists united against the separation, you know, for the separation of church and state, you know, throwing up lawsuits every time that moral framework is, is oh. you know, is they're trying to oppose it, you know, whereas a Christian moral framework, there are, very, you know, active organizations fighting that at every, uh, you know, everywhere that kind of tries to gain a foothold in one of our institutions. Okay. 
And uh, so why, well, how, how do you reverse that process then? That, that's the other question. I mean, do, do we want to go back to, um, do you think that liberal society with the assumptions that it had and no longer has around a Christian morality and a Christian direction of what we call worship, um, if that, if that is no longer tenable, it's still allowed for multiplicity of viewpoints. It's still allowed for, there's still, uh, there's certain aspects of liberalism that I know make it weak to any sort of radicalism that can adapt to it um, that I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up creativity. I don't want to give up the rich energy of different cultures coming together and, and setting aside violence in order to debate. Um, even though I know that debate isn't going to win in, in the end, debate's always going to follow whatever power does and powers something completely different. But right. how do we, how do we regain that? Like what, what, what's the direction back and is it through Christianity you think? And, and is the Christian you know, aesthetic capable of capturing the imagination of America in 2023, 2024? That's uh, a few different questions. Let me, uh, yeah, I know, I know. um, one, I, I, I think everything that, um, we need to recover what we've lost has existed at one point under the constitution i'm not someone that thinks we need to you know toss out the constitution start over i'm not you know advocating we need a, a red caesar that, to come in and you know take over and we just kind of wait until you know things get bad enough you know accelerationist um <laughs> but i do think we need to rediscover the will to govern from a Christian moral framework. We need um, to uh, lose the illusion that we can have, uh, that we can just be left alone. You know, I think um, we need um, uh, to, as Christians, to articulate a vision of moral good that um, does uh, uphold people's freedoms, that um, you know, just like we had at our founding, um, a great mm. book to read, um, is, uh, by Mark David Hall. Uh, it's called, uh, did America have a Christian founding? And he goes through and, um, you know, he's a, he's a scholar. He, he documents, um, just that whole, uh, zeitgeist of the founding and how much of it was based on their, the Christian worldview and how much that was, um, really implemented in law at the time of our founding. And um, I don't think we can enjoy the fruits of liberty that we enjoyed for so many years without a recovery of that Christian, those Christian underpinnings. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Could you give me like a, like a standard or an example? Um, you know, I think that's what the, the Christian nationalist project is trying to figure out. Okay. Um, I think on the short term, it means, um, you know, city councilmen's refusing to fly the pride flag, you know, just because it's June and that, well, we're a, a neutral public thing. So we got to support this. We got to support that. Um, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. This is a Christian community or a predominantly Christian community. We don't celebrate that. Um, recovering the, um, the courage to reject a lot of the DEI um, things because they 
do not see people as equal in the sight of God. It's it's this you know competing oppressor oppressed okay. dynamic that is not healthy. Um, so I, you know, I, I think, and I don't personally like to use the Christian nationalist label. I'm just not afraid of it because they're going to label us that. Um, but I, I don't see much different uh, in what I would do um, than what DeSantis and Chris Rufo are doing down in Florida. I think they are, they're finding, you know, whether they would describe it this way or not, they are finding the will to govern according to a moral framework that says wokeness is bad for society. It needs to be rooted out. We don't need to make, you know, a neutral playground, you know, you know, competition of ideas and let the best ideas win. Like, no, these are bad ideas. They need okay. to be, you know, rejected. You know, there's this, uh, right before Tucker got ousted from Fox, he did this pretty stirring or at least um, sensational speech uh, floating around like five, this five minute part that I watched where mm -hmm. he, he, he said that, you know, people are, we're acting like this is a debate where we can argue different things. And for so long, uh, our society was about like, we, we have different takes on tax policy or, you know, progressive tax or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, this or that thing. But when we're talking about whether or not it's okay to transition children or abortion is, you know, to be celebrated or not, we're, we're no longer talking about, um, we're talking in terms of good and evil. Um, and, you know, whether or not you agree with that framework, he was still saying everybody needs to pray. We, we need to pray. This is, this is an existential mm -hmm. fight. Now, whether or not that was a political um, or could be taken as political, like he's rallying the troops, you know, for some sort of political aim. When we do get down to certain aspects of our culture that are dominant now, um, sexual, complete and total sexual license, um, Abortion as healthcare, or but abortion just basically as birth control. Um, mm -hmm. The tra transition argument, especially when it comes down to children, but also uh, the erosion of the distinction between male and female culturally as well as biologically. These are really, really deep, big questions. And if the Christian can't articulate why a man is a man, a woman is a woman, um, or why, why life is a life, um, then, you know, how, how do you guys even do that? So when you brought up, you know, like DEI stuff and, and then the pride flag, you're talking about certain sorts of sexual mores and you're talking about mm -hmm. a certain sort of view of what a human being is. And that human being is someone who is equal in the sight of God. And then law tries to mimic God in a certain way by seeing people as, you know, individual souls or something like mm -hmm. that. But these, these, it doesn't seem like that language is aesthetically dominant anymore. It's really big claims. And how do you promote that without going too far and dehumanizing homosexuals? right yeah yeah i think um for the longest time and i i was a big proponent of this like do not make a christian argument against abortion like that just muddies the water do not bring the bible into this at all mm. and and there are great arguments you know there are a lot of people have made like really strong natural law arguments against abortion um that don't bring religion into it at all but um you know i think we've we've kind of overcorrected where we uh kind of assent to this neutral uh, playground that there, there has no place for religion by not um letting it be known that 
I, you know, do not support <laughs> abortion because I believe a, a baby's made in God's image and that, you know, God knit the baby together in the mother's womb. And before I knew, you know, he says, before I knew you, uh, you know, before you were knit together in the mother's womb, I knew you. Mm-hmm. And and so that I don't think we need to be afraid to make those arguments in public. Yeah. Um, and I think there's an opening right now because so much of um, liberalism is failing to have persuasive arguments against some of the things. Um, like when consent is your ultimate, you know, frame, your ultimate, you know, um, way of looking at uh, sexuality. Well, that erodes, uh, <laughs> that's a very slippery slope because who's to say a 12 year old can't consent to, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, Especially if you, know, you give them the right books at the right time uh, to make exactly. them open to consent. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, that's where I think liberalism is coming up short in in being able to oppose this stuff. And there's such an appetite right now because we instinctively know, like the Orrin McIntyre tapped the sign, we instinctively know that's where this is headed. And I think, you know, now is a, a great time for Christians to offer that moral framework that like, we know this is wrong <laughs> because this is, you know, this violates the, you know, ancient sexual morality that, you know, has been throughout Christianity. And uh, that's what our society was built on. And that's, yeah, that is the proper way to view this stuff and to legislate against this. Did, so going back to what you're saying about the, the spreading of Christianity through Rome, um, and, uh, you know, where, where women started to go to convents, like, like there was some sort of like sexual revolution, you said that came from about from the will of women to, to follow in Christ's image, you know, like there was, the, there was a deep mm-hmm. spiritual, it sounds, I don't know what animated that there was probably a lot of different things that animated that, uh, for every individual that went out to a convent and stuff, but it seems like Christianity spread because it was, people were opened to it. Like going back to what you were saying about Calvinism, either people are open to it or not, you know, either Pharaoh's heart is hard or it's open and mm-hmm. that's up to God. So what if, what if it just happens to be the case that, America is just their heart is closed. The, the the heart of America is closed, and some people's hearts are open, some people's hearts are closed. But because we live in a democracy, more people's hearts are closed, and it's just going to go in the direction that's the opposite of the direction that you choose. Like, what do Christians do? Is national divorce the answer? Is is martyrdom uh, in the cards, and up to and including, um, you know, lions or you know, crucifixes and stuff yeah, like that, I, like. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you. And so there is uh, a sense in Christianity that we are, we are called to suffer. We are to told to expect suffering. Um, now I don't, I don't want to just surrender to the pessimism though, because God is all powerful. He's sovereign. We don't know what he's going to do. Like none of us saw the, um, COVID pandemic coming and all of the ways that turned society on its head. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that God's not going to use something like that to, you know, turn America around and, and get us back on the right track. Uh, at the same time, I'm not one of these Christians that believes that America is a chosen nation like Israel. 
like God may be done with it. God, <laughs> we may be going through the judgment, uh, you know, right now with as, as crazy as everything's gotten. And, um, mm-hmm. if that's the case, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, as Christians, our, our call is to be faithful, to keep loving our neighbors, keep loving our enemies, uh, raise our families, um, you know, go to church as long as they let us uh, figure out yeah. ways to, to meet, um, if they tell us not to. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, knowing that we have a God that is sovereign, that is in control, um, you know, it, it talks about in, um, in scripture that, you know, God is the one that raises Kings up and takes them down. So we're, uh, we know who wins in the end, regardless of what your eschatology is. Um, and so I think that gives us a lot of confidence to just, um, live our lives faithfully and, uh, love others and, um, you know, share the gospel and hope what is, that, you know, God uses sorry. that. Yeah. Um, what, what is, to, to get back to what you're talking about, the seeker sensitive, um, ministries, I had a question about why Christians are so obsessed with ministry. Like, what well, what's up with that? Um, but if you make a pitch, like what would Christian, what if more people were Christian in America? What, what do you see happening over the long run? Like, how would that benefit? Like, what's the pitch from a, from a positive point of view, even though they have to practice self-restraint, maybe give up pornography and alcohol, you know, to a certain degree, you know, become chaste and not sleep around. Maybe there's costs to this, but yeah. what are the benefits? Yeah. And, you know, back to the secret sensitive, I don't want to sell Christianity based on, you know, embrace it because these are the benefits. You know, I want yeah. people to embrace it because it, it's true. It, it's okay. true that, that Jesus died for our sins that, that you know, we couldn't keep the law, you know, God's law. And so Jesus came, lived a righteous life, died on the cross, stepped in the punishment that we deserved and, and then rose from the dead to prove that, you know, everything he said was true. Um, so I want people to believe it for that. And if we have, have been loved so much, it, it, that's the humbling thing about a Calvinist perspective is that if I did nothing to deserve this, I wasn't even smart enough to, you know, think it or, or open enough to, you know, you know, consider it, you know, I was dead in my trespasses and sins and God chose to save me. I want to be an instrument of, you know, God using to do that in other people's lives. If we know that he's got his people and he's going to find them, I can, without fear, I can join God in the work he's doing. And, um, you know, so that's, that to me, that's the animating principle of why we do this. We don't, do it because we're guaranteed that we're bringing a kingdom here on earth or that it's going to make America better. But I think that as America, as more and more people in America surrender their life to Christ and finally give up on living for self and for, you know, um, hmm. you know, endless pleasure and just, you know, as, uh, um, what's uh, Louise Perry says, you know, one more hit of the, you know, liberalism, um, you know, thing is once people get to the end of that and realize that this isn't satisfying, you know, there will be, um, you know, I think there, it can unlock, you know, a lot of the things in society that are needed for humans to flourish. And because God, God is not arbitrary, the, the laws that he puts forth, the, the way he wants the world to work is not because he's some ogre up in the sky that doesn't want us to have fun because that's how we were designed to work best. You know, that's how society was designed to flourish. 
And the more we can kind of implement that in the world, that the more freedom is going to you know, flourish, the more, um, you know, homes are going to be intact, the less problems we're going to have with addiction, because people know the, you know, the joy of hard work and, and not, you know, just chasing after pleasure all the time. Yeah, the, the concept of freedom is so uh, sticky, too. I, I don't think it it's a bad word, freedom. Because you don't yeah. really mean freedom. You don't. You don't mean freedom. You mean uh, correctly calibrated responsibility that allows for optimum yeah. potential, you know, optimized potentiality or something like that. You know, but when we say freedom, it's yeah. not because li the liberal, the con uh, the secular, or the con contemporary take on freedom is like do what thou willst, do that what thou willst, which is literally yeah. sat satanic uh, pathway, right? Yeah. So it's not that. It's That's not more libertinism. Yeah. Yeah, libertinism and stuff like that. So what your argument is is that through the doctrines of christianity and through the um, practice of the faith and through submitting oneself to what you call god's law and participation in community that's formed around worship and and uh, christian values that that the potentials of society the the, the bounty is much more um available to us than than without that or um yeah, but and yet we see rainbow flags in churches more and more and more, because it hits that. Yes, <laughs> it hits that nerve. Yep, and that's that. That's that impulse to appeal to the world. Well, we have to do this. Or our churches are, are going to decline, and yet every denomination that embraces that ultimately declines. That declines that's, that's faster. Saw. Yeah, yeah, much faster. Um, okay, and it's that that trying to maintain friendship with the world um and james uh it says that you know friendship with the, the world is enmity with god and so as we're running after the world um you know <laughs> we're ultimately running after running away from god yeah the world uh, that 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 has a kind of a horrific tone to it um, yeah, I mean, my dad's a pastor. I grew up with that language, you know, the, oh, yeah. the world is a whore, you know, like, like this, there's this kind of nastiness in this thing called the world. Um, but what are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about human society. We're talking about human nature. Are we talking about like the world itself red in tooth and claw or whatever, you know, like what is that world? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Like what is meant by that? I think, I think what is meant by that. And again, not a Bible, you know, I didn't go to seminary, so why not? Insult. Um, I consider Too busy making movies. Um, yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was more interested in making money. I think. <laughs> oh, money. Okay, yeah, yeah. Money, um, but, name um, and men ministries. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh no, sorry. Um, Money's good. Christians the, have no problem with that. that right? No, no money is money is a tool. Okay. Um, and it's very worldly. That's again. So it goes back to the point. So like there is like there's lust. There's all these sins that we run on. All this, you know, mm -hmm. these lower energies that we run on. There's something about like our relationship to them that is righteous. Um, and and I think that just casting all these things as bad, the world, money as bad. Like you're missing the point. You're not able to function correctly yes. if you think those. Yes. Tips, so. Yeah, I think um, what is meant by the world is the the kind of spirit of the age. The hmm. the um, if we're trying to gain the approval of um, you know society 
in general um, and and run toward the things that are society values instead of what God values. Um, I, the world as God created, the natural world is good. We are not, uh, it's not a Gnostic faith that says we need to be separate from the world and, you know, divided from our body. And we're just, you know, in earth suits that, you know, one day we'll get to, you know, when the resurrection comes, the body is, is resurrected. So the body is good. Um, there's a great book on, on that, uh, by Nancy Piercy called love thy body. Yeah. Uh, where she gets into, she talks a, a lot about the the transgender um, kind of attack on the body and how the body is good. It's it's what you know God created us and there's a design and a, a telos in it and you know yeah. it communicates a lot about who we are and what we're for. Uh, so yeah, it, that is not what it, you know. I think Bible is talking about when it, it talks about enmity with the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, um. Hmm. So Can I there, go back to what a, you said yeah. um, earlier, you asked like, you know, what if, you know, Christians are not the majority, like, you, you know, what then does America just die? I think that gets back to a lot of the uh, assumptions that, you know, a popular majority is required to make any like significant changes in America. Um, you look at the, you know, the pride LGBT plus, um, group, you know, look at what they've done with less, you know, than 3% of the population. Uh, the most organized and determined minority um, rules, for lack of a, a, a better term. So uh, it's I their think, flag that America know, is foisting above its own at this exactly. point. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Right. Isn't that great? It's crazy. It shows you the power of determination so, in the human spirit. Yeah. And so that's, you know, I think if we had a real true revival in this country of just among existing Christians. Yeah. You know, not that that's the purpose of it. I don't, you know, I think there's a lot of Christians that are like, we need revival so that we can have, you know, America restored. Um, but if, if Christians were to just legitimately start to take their faith seriously and apply it to their life. And what does this mean to live in 2023 America? I think, you know, that would be an unstoppable force for good in this country. And I, I think, you know, we just need Christians to not be afraid to you know, exert some, some willpower. Chutzpah. Yeah. Chutzpah. It's a good word. How, how do you, so when did you uh, start going public? What, what's your trajectory into, I guess, speaking out um, or, or like, what's your relationship to the public and what do you want to accomplish by having a relationship to the public insofar as you have a relationship to the public? Yeah. So my big concern was we, so when we lived in, in Los Angeles, we saw kind of, um, you know, 2014, 15, a lot of the as BLM was, Becoming a thing, a lot of the woke ideas started showing up in the churches we were uh, connected to out there. And we saw a lot of uh, Christians we knew just go full in to, you know, follow the social justice path down to eventually deconstructing their faith. And, hmm. um, you know, my wife was good friends with some, the wives of some guys who did a real public, um, you know, uh, deconstruction and leaving the faith. And, and that just kind of really rocked our world. Could we, could we focus yeah. on that? So, so could you yeah. show the, or explain the trajectory from Christian, well-meaning Christian to mm -hmm. deconstruction of faith and how wokeness, whatever that is, 
seduces one into a anti-Christian or non-Christian value set, even though, because it starts on the beginning, inclusivity, diversity, equality, those are all sympathetico with the spirit of the law, perhaps. Yep. So what's the, what's the stages and what kind of personalities do you see end up yeah. succumbing to it? So it's usually really empathetic um, people. I think empathy is weaponized against um, Christians in particular. Because um, we are, you know, we are told throughout scripture that we are supposed to care for the oppressed. We are to, told to do justice. That is a godly concern. Um, so if someone comes along and says there's injustice, you need to do something. And particularly, not just you need to do something, you are implicated in this and that's one thing that wokeness does you're it's not complicit just, in evil if yeah, you don't you're stand against you yeah yep yep and um you know especially if you are you're white you're privileged you are part of the oppressor class so you're guilty and so the solution to that is you need to listen to people of color you need to listen to the oppressed and so it doesn't matter what you think doesn't matter what god's word says it matters what the so it sneaks in the idol, it sneaks in a idol or false prophets, um, according to Correct. this oppressor. If, if somebody has the oppressor badge, then they are higher than God, or they're between you and God. Yeah. You need to relate to them first and foremost, and then interpret because, God's word according to their understanding of it. Correct, because huh. how you understand scripture was because you received uh, interpretations from dead white guys. <laughs> and so... You need to, um, you know, a lot, there's a lot of talk of like, you know, you need to look at your bookshelf. If there are not, you know, voices of color on your theological bookshelf, you need to start reading only voices of color for the next year. Okay. And, and those so voices then, of color are separated according to whether or not they agree with politically black and then regular black people. Correct. So even, even the voices of color are, have already been marketed um, yep. as bonafide within this doctrine of Correct. socialist yep. Marxists. Kind of thing. Yep. And so that's yeah. when they start bringing in guys like James Cone with liberation theology that is just complete, you know, Marxism. Um, and elevating that as like, these are the theologians you need to be listening to. Okay. And so there's this, uh, you know, with um, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, what is it? The standpoint epistemology that the, the, the source of truth is the, is, you know, comes from the point of the oppressed. And so you'll hear things like, you know, one of the biggest red flags you hear in churches is like, well, you know, as a white man, I don't think I should speak on this, you know, latest police shooting or this racial issue or whatever. Uh, we just need to listen and learn. And that's, that's all well and good. Um, but then once you've bought into that framework of, you know, it's only the oppressed, then yes. suddenly it gets applied to LGBT issues. Well, as a straight man, I can't really say anything to this because I don't know what it's like to be an oppressed, you know, trans woman. And so it, it's just that slow erosion of, uh, you know, everything that scripture would teach because we've, you know, elevated these, this other source of truth above 
scripture. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the Nietzschean yeah. critique of Christianity, isn't it? That it puts the weak on, on mm-hmm. top. I mean, and this is Nietzsche, so Nietzsche's got his own issues that he's working on. Another pastor's son, um, to be perfectly frank, um, probably some daddy issues going on with him. But, um, you know, <laughs> he, he's saying that Christianity is already teaching about the slave narrative. It's already... Mm-hmm. Sub- it's already eroded that masculine, like, no, this, there's an ideal and we follow the ideal. There's a patriarch, um, like it's already eroding the patriarch in a way, um, by ceding, um, you know, the, the law to some sort of other more diffuse law yeah. or inversion of the law of nature. This like the, the, you know, the turn the other cheek read in a very specific way. So it's already in line. This woke doctrine is already in line with Christian echo echoes of Christianity. How do you stop that? How do you say, well, no, there is, there's strength and, and beauty and goodness and truth. And you know, that, that stern patriarch comes back and say, no, this is the law. And, and this is, this is the beautiful and this is the good. And this is what we're going to hew to. And everything else is falseness and, and sin. You know, how do you bring back that hellfire and brimstone stuff, which is what ultimately is going to be the case if people do follow in this erosion of, yeah. Values. Well, I think it gets back to our, our previous discussion on friendship with the world. You know, if, if we're appealing to what the world wants and we don't want to be labeled things the world, you know, throws at us, um, yeah. you know, okay. uh, yeah, then, you know, we're going to be soft in those areas. We're going to be susceptible. And if, if the worst thing in the world is for us to be called racist, well, it's real easy to look the other way because like, you know, yep, I have some questions about Ibram Kendi and his anti-racist framework, but racism is bad. So uh, let's just ignore the, you know, teaching in scripture um, on, you know, Ezekiel 18 talks about, you know, a man is not guilty for the sins of his parents yes. or his ancestors. Yeah. So like all this talk of reparations and, and this ancestral guilt, like, yeah. that's not scriptural. And we okay. have to be, if we're not concerned with becoming, you know, a friend of the world, we're okay accepting whatever label they're going to throw at us because I rest on the word of God. I, okay. you know, that is my standard, not, you know, the voice of the oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I bring up a story that I tell on occasion on my channel about um, being at the Evergreen State College, which became hyper woke and watching the implementation yeah. of the ideology and then watching like the, the, you know, the trainings turn into the outcome of what, what we're heading and trying to tell people like, once you believe this, this is the result. But we were in a, a workshop for my stupid job. had nothing to do with race, but we were just like handing out media equipment and making sure that microphones were on and we needed to go and do, uh, you know, anti-racist training and learn about privilege, you know, and everybody had to, you know, we got in the small groups and we had to talk about our own privilege. Um, you know, what are the privileges that I have and what are the privileges that I don't have that I'm aware of. Right. And I, I didn't, I didn't play that game because I knew that I was already ceding my moral authority to this worldly thing. Like the, and very explicitly this, this internal sense of guilt that I have been trained in and that I, that holds me account to my actions is between me and God. It's between me, ultimately my judge, mm-hmm. which is above all human judges. And then it's taking that and submitting it to like what the world thinks, like the color of my yeah. skin, uh, how awesome my shoes are, um, how many vacation days I have, like all these different, like very, very stupid, like the, 
the stupidest it was such a it was so easily seen as very stupid it was all about complaining about how we're not equal to each other in order to erode one's intuitive sense of morality um mm -hmm. and so you see uh you see accusations of racism accusations of sexism accusations of phobias of all sorts are worldly references of sin. Um, they are external mm -hmm. references of sin. And you don't have to necessarily be for racism or not against racism. You don't have to not be anti-racist. But if you see that we're actually talking about something higher, we're talking about something called sin, then you can start to see human beings as flawed. And then you can start to model a, a path of correction or a path of grace um, mm -hmm. that is not necessarily worldly. But if you, if you take sin and you start to put it on these different categories, then you have to have this bureaucratic um, apparatus that then redistributes or deals with this sin, which is, you know, it's the, it's the antichrist. It's the, it's, it, you're blocked from grace because you have to go through some sort of procedural thing. You cede all yep. of your moral authority to these, to these trainers, to this diffuse governmental um, morality. And then you're, you're totally screwed because you're completely dependent on it for your salvation yep. and for your guilt. And, and then you're just completely a slave to this thing. Um, I, I saw it really easily, really intuitively, probably because of my, uh, Christian upbringing, um, and, and my orientation towards like a transcendent judge. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's well, how I hewed that. away from that. Yeah. Yeah, for it, it does that for the the oppressor group, but for the oppressed group, it offers complete moral absolution. Like you're not held account for any of your bad behavior, and so it it, it really is. It's kind of a, a you know a socialist redistributing guilt from one group to the other. It's, yeah. it's weird. Yeah, it's not good. It's not pretty. It doesn't result in, mm -mm. in the kingdom of God. I'll tell you that much. No, <laughs> I know that much to be true. Yes. So what do you, what do you aim to do then with, I mean, you, you also, uh, obviously have a message, you have an orientation, like what do you, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, I'm trying. So when we got back to Georgia, um, after our time in LA and had seen all this, you know, deconstruction, yeah. we, um, I started to see, you know, I'd seen the evergreen, um, documentary that, um, Mike did. Yeah, and um, yeah. really um, helped to kind of, you know, you know, crystallize what I'd seen in California, and I start seeing this show up in conservative churches here in Georgia, and that was just kind of, I was like, okay, I know where this goes, <laughs> I, this is not good, and so that's when I started, you know, kind of waving the red flag and speaking up, and my my Twitter, you know, activity became really focused on kind of warning and I started the the podcast and yeah, I just okay. really hope to kind of be there for Christians as they kind of wake up to what time it is and they're you know have questions like what is going on why has the world gone crazy um okay. you know I want to kind of be a resource to kind of help explain and and help them think biblically about what's happening in the world right now what are some of the persistent questions that you receive from Christians who are watching this thing that we call wokeness invade their places of worship. Like what's the consistent theme um, challenges and then your advice that you give? You know, there's a lot of people that are um, really want to know, you know, my pastor referenced Tim Keller or, you know, 
David Platt, you know, pastors who have had some issues with, with, with that. Uh, do I need to leave? Do I need to find a new church? And, you know, I, I worry that, that some people are going to kind of make their pastors lives hell <laughs> because uh, pastors are busy people. There are a lot of, um, they have a lot of different hats. They're wearing a lot of different concerns. They're a lot of times not very plugged into what's happening um, culturally. Um, and so I want, you know, Christians to have a lot of grace, go have a conversation with your pastor before you, you know, accuse him of being woke just because he quoted, uh, some guy you don't like in the pulpit. Um, but yeah, if it's coming into your church and you don't have influence there, I say, you know, go find a church that is, is preparing, um, Christians to stand, uh, as the heat gets turned up. Um, because I think we are headed to some times um, where, you know, it's going to be harder to be a Christian and we're going to need that uh, support, especially as our, our workplaces uh, become more and more um, difficult to navigate. Yeah. Um, and pastors don't necessarily, uh, they're not in that world. So they don't really, a lot of times, know what you're facing there. And so, um, you know, that would be my encouragement to pastors that uh, are listening to me, you know talk to the people you're working with, find out what it's like, find out what, uh, what they're seeing. Cause it's probably more real in, in your church's life than you may think, uh, mm -hmm. especially in the South. There's a, a sense that, Oh, that's, that's all happening in California or up in New York. Um, no, it's right down the street. <laughs> it's, uh, mm -hmm. everybody, you know, in this church is affected in some way, uh, even if it's just you know, what your kids are seeing on, you know, the favorite streaming platform or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what are, what are like, what's the general direction that uh, Christians, I guess this, I don't know how to formulate this question because you, you're kind of describing this sea change in the morality of the world or the public and, and, and also trying, I guess it seems like you're trying to give people tools and pathways to resist that or to turn or to hew toward their Christian morality in the face of or in contradiction to the world. So I, I just trying to, I don't know how to formulate that. Like, how do you know what is Christian what's not Christian, you know? And then, and then how do you answer that question? Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of coming up short for the correct way to kind of have you kind of generally describe like when you know what, what is, when you encounter evil, how do you know it? If it's wearing a rainbow flag and, and preaching diversity, how do you really know that that's evil? And how do you know that you're not evil for, for saying that it's wrong? Yeah. Well, that's where I think it's really important to be in a church that preaches uh, expositionally, like through books of the Bible, through scripture. A mm -hmm. lot of these seeker sensitive churches have gotten into a rut of uh, preaching the same you know, five or six series over and over, um, you know, marriage, uh, you know, parenting, money, uh, all the ways that, you know, the true principles from scripture that are, that are great. It's, it's great practical advice, but it avoids uh, the truth on a lot of this. And so a lot of churches have um, kind of opened the doors to wolves to come in and just kind of snack on the sheep okay. um, when it comes to a lot of these ideas. And I think a church that is is preaching through the word of God, even the tough, you know, if you're preaching, like really wrestling with the word, right? like constantly just yeah, really wrestling and engaging with the 
the word of God with the Bible, like going through it and, and looking for the deeper meanings and, and just like yep. really openly reaching into it will probably have better tools writ large yeah. to counter worldly. It, it has a preservative things. effect. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Um, it's almost like inoculation against uh, when you, when you know, my dad loved to use this um, analogy when he would, would preach or this um, illustration, like when they teach you to, uh, when they teach um, you know, FBI to spot counterfeits, um, they don't study the counterfeits. They study the the actual you know money, so okay. that when they see the counterfeit, they know it right away. And so it's that same idea with scripture. It's like if you know the word, if you're in a church that is preaching through it, yeah. and actually you know dealing with the tough you know teachings of scripture and the things that are relevant to what we're seeing in culture, when you know it shows up in your kid's classroom, you're like, eh. That's that's what they're talking about. Okay. Yeah. Um, is your podcast trending towards becoming a preacher? Or you, you think you're you're turning in that direction? You're starting to be expository for with the word or something? Or how do you how do you produce content? Like, what's your methodology? If not, that? Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty topical. I uh, just kind of um, what interests me. I, I've been doing a lot of interviews with um, interesting people who've written oh. books in this space. So. Oh, cool. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm. You're mapping right the, now. Yeah, you're mapping the contemporary landscape and stuff. Do you feel called towards the ministry at some point? You think you'll get a theology degree? Uh, not professionally. Not you know. Yeah. I think uh, career-wise, I, I don't see myself going there. But who knows? I'm open if that's where God directs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's on the horizon for your show? And uh, I guess we already talked about your summer, but uh, you're going to Jamaica, but what, what's coming up for your show? Do you have a series planned or anything like that? Or guess Yeah, I definitely want to um, do something um, surrounding the whole um, Duggar's documentary, Happy, Shiny, Happy People, Happy, Shiny hmm. People. Have okay. you seen that yet? No, what's that about? Uh, it's on Prime, um, Amazon Prime. Uh, it's delves into the um, Bill Gothard uh, Institute and Basic Life Principles cult that the Duggar family was a part of and kind of really exposes that. Um, but it does it does uh, what so many things uh, in our entertainment culture do. It seizes upon some real problems. Uh, it's absolutely an abusive cult, and I'm glad it's being exposed. But then it tries to expand that to attack all conservative Christians and paints homeschooling mm. as a you know, nefarious plot to infiltrate all levels of government and really? <laughs> all this huh. stuff. So it, I think it'd be fun to kind of address that. And, oh, um, interesting. So it turns yeah, out to be a, regime propaganda then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trust your <laughs> children much. to the public schools. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, want to do an episode about that. Um, trying to get Chris Rufo on to promote his book uh, later this summer. So, oh yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. Do you are you hopeful? You think there's a lot of work to do? Or you think you think things are trending up? Do you see trends in in a in a good direction when you look at um, the space that you're looking at, the political landscape you're looking at? Yeah, it's. I'm definitely way more encouraged than I was. Uh, you know, 2017 when I got into this. You know, it was pretty, um, there wasn't many people really kind of sounding the alarm on on kind of a lot of this uh, critical theory stuff coming into ch churches. And now I feel like we've 
pretty much won that battle. Um, I don't think you're still going to have like the crazy progressive churches, you know, running all into it. But a lot yeah. of the conservative churches are more kind of wise to it now. Okay. And so I yeah. think that threat has subsided somewhat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm becoming really interested in kind of the post-liberal conversation and, and what, you know, what went wrong, what allowed this yes. to happen? How can we kind of uh, rethink things going forward? So it would be space really interesting. It would be a tremendous waste of potential for um, Christians such as yourself who participated in the anti-woke culture war to waste all the energy that's um, kind of stirred up by anti-wokeness or by f defeating or, or fighting against certain um, extendencies of the progressive uh, mindset to not to not go beyond politics and to actually use this as an opportunity to make this a moral life lesson like okay these things went wrong in society here's you know maybe this way maybe that way here's why it's wrong maybe this way maybe that way but here's what a good human being is and here's how you can be a good human being and this mm -hmm. is this is this is a you know opportunity for that it would be a great waste of potential to to not go deeper uh, than just culture yeah. warring and yeah, you know, absolutely. convincing your neighbor not to drink Bud Light or something like that, you know, and say, <laughs> not slipping a little yeah. tract in there. Like, and have you heard the truth yeah. about our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, or something like that, not to yeah. name you or anything <laughs> like that. Well, cool, Josh. Uh, what, what's your, um, you want to tell us what your, uh, what your podcast is called and how people can find you. So my audience can sure. plug it themselves into you. Yeah, it's uh, the Great Awakening podcast. Um, you can find it on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then I'm really active on Twitter at Josh Dawes, D-A-W-S. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for your afternoon. It was great to meet up with you. Pick your brain. Yeah, thanks, Benjamin. I enjoyed it.